and welcome to Supers on Screen, the superhero movie podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Roth, and today we're going to be talking about the uh, Warner Brothers DC Comics animated direct-to-DVD feature, Superman Doomsday. My guests today are writer, comedian, and Deadshirt.net TV editor, Haley Winters. Hello. And cartoonist, Tracy Mock. Hello. So this is our first of our um, hand-drawn animated features that we're going to be doing for the show, so that's some new ground to cover. I've uh, got a little summary of the movie here, because I understand with uh, some of these direct-to-DVD features, rather than the big blockbuster movies, not everybody out there listening has probably seen this movie, so we're going to try and make allowances for the uh, the uh, relative obscurity of the movie. So uh, the, the plot of the movie essentially is, the world mourns after Superman is beaten to death by an intergalactic soccer hooligan, but when <laughs> Superman mysteriously reappears and starts palling around with Lex Luthor and killing people, it's up to Lois Lane to solve the case and save the day, at least until the real Superman wakes up again. So uh, have either of you two seen this movie before preparing for the podcast? Yes. I had not. <laughs> okay, Tracy, yes, okay. Haley, no. Tracy, when did you first see the movie? When it came out. Like, uh, it's one of those, I bought it the day it came out, as has been my habit with all of the uh, DC Universe original movies, because I'm I'm that nerd. No, see, I'm, I've been exactly the same way, except for I did not pick up Justice League War last week. Oh, well, I've got one up on you then, Dylan Roth. Well, later I'll have to ask you how it was. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, this was the first of DC's line of uh, premium PG-13 direct-to-DVD animated features. They've done over a dozen of them now. They've It's been running long enough that they relaunched it, so... <laughs> but uh, they've come a long way, I think, in a lot of ways from this one, but there's definitely a lot of a lot of things that, that sort of indicate this is the first one and they're trying something new. Uh, especially the violence in the movie. Yeah. It's violent as hell. Who was not expecting... That yeah. as someone who did not know what to expect at all. Yeah, because Haley, you have you ever seen any of these uh, DC animated movies before? You know, no. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> well, if the, if the violence of Superman Doomsday shocked you, wait till you see the rest of the uh, library. Yeah, let's just wait till we get Flash to the Flashpoint Paradox. That shit uh. is dark as hell. <laughs> I don't know this. This really shocked me. I mean, like necks crunching and everything. Well, it you know they the the cover of the movie is a bleeding Superman shield, so <laughs> true. This uh, this movie was adapted from the as they constantly like to remind you best selling graphic novel of all time, The Death of Superman, and to a lesser extent, the following two much better trade paperback collections, A World Without Superman and The Return of Superman. But they don't really do that t- that much with with parts two and three, right? So for those of you who are listening to this with relatively little uh, superhero comics experience. In the early 90s, DC had to stall Superman and Lois, and Lois Lane's wedding for a year because they wanted to time it out with the then-popular uh, primetime soap, Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. So uh, they killed Superman for a year just so that, you know, he couldn't get married until after he came back from the dead. And the press thought he was dead for real and made a really big deal out of it. And it became a very, very, very popular... Uh, very popular story, and of course they brought him back in a very different way than they do here in the movie. But the movie does the the whole death of Superman part pretty much straight out of the books. It's really bloody, it's kind of ridiculous, and uh, the city takes a walloping, a Man of Steel scale walloping. Oh yeah. So, I guess we'll start with uh, what you guys each thought of the of the story of the movie, just just general plot wise. Uh, Haley, what were your what were your feelings about how the story broke down? 
Well, like I said, I have very little experience with superhero movies in general uh, beyond just what is, you know, playing in theaters and that I get dragged to by other people. Um, but from what I could tell, um, my, 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 my biggest uh, reaction was, wow, this is, this is very dark and this is very violent. Um, I mean, right from the beginning, not just in terms of violence as in, you know, oh, here we have Doomsday grabbing a trucker by the face and hurling him off of the highway. And just chucking him <laughs> over his shoulder like a Snickers wrapper. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> just littering um, with bodies. <laughs> Uh, but there's also, I mean, there's some real kind of slinky sexual references. Um, there's some really dark kind of, uh, that dark reference to Lex Luthor, uh, re reserving the cures for hundreds of debilitating diseases. Like he just happens to be sitting on the cure for muscular dystrophy, but he's not going to release it to gain more money. And, and when I go into, a any sort of superhero thing, I my initial instinct is that this is going to be more or less geared toward kids, and uh, I figured out that this wasn't necessarily. Also, it's obviously it's PG thirteen, um, but that really um, immediately cooked me into a place of okay, this already isn't going to be what I expect. Yeah. Oh uh, man, did DC want you to notice this movie was PG thirteen? They put a lot <laughs> of work into making sure that you felt it on every level. Yeah, they had everything except for mild nudity, really. Well, let's, I guess, well, mild, well, it depends <laughs> on your definition of mild. I mean, it's it's not super risque. You got people in towels. <laughs> oh, no, there's there's also plenty of um, uh, strategically placed bits of ice and glass oh, yeah, over, uh, right. over a an... panorama of naked Superman. It's <laughs> true. Apparently, when you clone Superman, you don't give him genitals or an ass crack. <laughs> but you still feel the need to cover the lack of genitals and ass crack with, with uh, glass and debris. Yeah, suddenly that glass wasn't so opaque. Yeah. It was... yeah. <laughs> All right, it's, well... it's fogging up. <laughs> so, um, Tracy, you've got a lot more experience with not just superhero movies in general, but this particular line of movies. Um, what was your What's your feeling about it, both in hindsight and now coming back to it? I, I, I was surprised at how old it seemed compared to what's out now, where... I don't, intellectually, I don't feel like these movies have been coming out for very long. I mean, they've certainly got quite the selection of of films built up, but it, it felt like like almost a different era. I mean, you can definitely see like what they have built up as far as you know wanting to push the levels of language and and violence in their uh, in their films. Um, but even like the soundtrack, it would seem like more synth heavy than. Yeah, this was a super generic soundtrack in this movie. Yeah, like it sounded like the same music you would hear in the Justice League Unlimited TV series. I don't even know if that's fair to the Justice League animated <laughs> series. That that show had some pretty cool cool score. This this felt like it was done at the last possible second by whoever was around. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it kind of probably one of the last DC animated things that even tried to look like a. A Bruce Tim drawing. Right, Bruce Tim, who again, for those of you who are less initiated, was the was the guy, the animation director and designer who's one of the key people responsible for Batman the animated series and all of its uh, all of its uh, spinoffs and sequels, like Batman Beyond, Justice League, Superman the animated series. Um, he was the director of one third of the movie, the first the first third, the part where Superman gets his ass kicked by Doomsday. 
that was all uh, Bruce Timm's work, and then it transitions to sort of the newer guard where we get um, we get like. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, uh, who's the third? Dwayne Capizzi, he's the third director? No, he's the screenwriter. We get, uh, we get Lauren, Lauren Montgomery, Montgomery we get for yeah. the second part, and yeah. she rules. Uh, Brandon Vietti. Brandon Vietti! <laughs> okay. And the other director for the third portion of the film is Brandon Vietti. So, but Bruce Timm gets to gets to be a... Have, I think he continues to produce all the way through the Dark, the, uh, the, the Dark Knight Returns adaptations they put out last year. But uh, this this definitely has the heaviest hand of his. Right down to Superman having weird cheekbones, which is apparently something he really <laughs> likes. They and they are weird cheekbones. It's sharp. Yeah, <laughs> I found it very distracting. It's like they're <laughs> even weirder than no, Haley. Again, you probably you really you don't no, have no you haven't been exposed to here. this. Um, in the Justice League animated series, and only for the first season because they realized it looked terrible, in an effort mm-hmm. to try and make Superman look a little bit more, I guess, elder statesman, a little bit older than his previous series, they gave him these weird, wrinkly cheeks. <laughs> and then they got rid of him because they realized it was a mistake. But apparently, not enough to not try it again. Bring him back! He has even weirder cheekbones in this movie. And... I find it weird to watch him speak. Yes. And it frankly, makes him look I, old. Yeah, and frankly, I found his entire body shape face to be a little bit uh, confusing, um, just anatomically. Although, again, Superman, generally speaking, doesn't quite fit into a typical anatomic mold. But yeah, that face, that head, it was large and it was square. And angular. Everybody else in the movie, except for, you know, like Doomsday, pretty much looked like a human being, except for Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Who is this beast? I placed the blame squarely on cheekbones. (laughs) So, speaking of the weirdness of Superman, I don't know about you guys, I was not thrilled with Adam Baldwin's performance uh, on the voice side as Superman. It felt really, really bland. Yeah. It, it doesn't work for me until they introduce the clone Superman, who's kind of a dick, and then it's like, oh, no, okay, I, I buy this now. I feel but, like he was cast to play that role more importantly yes. than to play the, uh, the regular Superman role. My thoughts exactly. Adam Baldwin's known for mostly playing sort of, like, stoic badasses, like Jane Cobb on Firefly, or what's-his-name on um, Chuck... Yeah, what's his name? Yeah. Old, age, old Agent What's-His-Name. Old Agent What's-His-Name with his old Lincoln Continental that I remember from probably the last episode I watched in season one. But here, it's like, in the beginning, he has to talk very softly to establish that I'm the nice Superman. <laughs> and I can't really emote at all because I'm the nice one. And then later, he can be more Adam Baldwin-y with... I'm not a voice actor. <laughs> <laughs> it's very clear I don't have that skill. I, I, I felt it. Yeah, I think um, that kind of soft-spoken blandness, especially in the beginning, kind of lent itself to not really creating a very developed Superman. Uh, he felt very two-dimensional to me, pun intended. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> but at, at, at no point did I really get any sort of emotion or, frankly, even real logic or motivation uh, in Superman's character, which is why I felt that this movie really belonged to Lois. Absolutely. Uh, yes. That's that's uh, that It doesn't really seem to matter so much that Superman's so boring in the movie because we get a really good Lois. Mm-hmm. And for most of the movie, it's really about her and not about him anyway, so. Yeah. Could they have not have done Lois Lane, Doomsday? 
that doesn't probably <laughs> mark it as well. But yeah, for pretty much, except for when there's fighting, it's really about her and to a lesser extent, creepy Lex Luthor. <laughs> and mm. we will get to him in a minute, but this is a really fascinating take on Lex Luthor, it I is. think. But this is a pretty good Lois. Um, I feel like this is this Lois is torn right out of the Superman animated series, Dana, Dana Delaney version, mm-hmm. where she's, I guess, I, I kind of could hear her voice behind the Anne Hesh's performance. And it's weird that Anne Hesh is... Is Hesh or Hesh? Anne Hesh? Hesh? Hesh, maybe? Hesh. Uh, this felt like, and probably because there were so many people who were involved in the DC animated universe that made this movie... But this this seemed very very much to be that same version of Lois. To the extent that I kind of wish they had cast Dana Delaney. I kind of think it would have played better if they maintained like pretty much all of the voice cast of Superman the animated series. Except I really, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll talk about it. But I really do like James Marsters' Lex. <laughs> yeah, he's he's excellent. We we will get to yeah. that though. Definitely, she's she both is the only person who's really solving anything in the movie because mm-hmm. she's she's solving the mystery and she's she's responsible ultimately for defeating the evil clone superman she tricks luthor and you know is, is actively trying to solve the mystery and also is the only person in the movie with really a character arc except unless you count jimmy's weird uh tabloid subplot yeah any anything yeah. Af- anything effective that doesn't involve punching is a thing that lois does this could have been a a cool um, a cool series launcher in it in itself, I guess. I mean, I suppose it's not so much of a stretch to imagine it as being an epilogue to the Superman animated series or something mm-hmm. that fit in there. But I, it did kind of make me wish that they didn't abandon this particular world to go on to do a different thing each movie when they went on. Because after this, with this whole DC animated originals line, they don't repeat any animation style or set of voice actors until like 10 movies in when they decided they'll they'll occasionally go back to one but we didn't get this voice cast ever again this combination of people yeah although that is what they're trying to rectify now with this sort of reboot as you mentioned when now that they're going to affirm- firmly establish a continuity between their films and like maintaining the voice cast of Justice League War throughout the rest of the films they do from this point. I guess we'll move on to Lex because I feel like we all really want to talk about Lex Luthor <laughs> in this movie. Lex sure. is voiced by James Marsters, best known as Spike from Buffy, and this version of the character is easily the most confusing and sexual of all versions of Lex <laughs> so, Luthor. So, so sexual. So From his screen. opening lines, I wrote, I wrote them down. I mean, the movie starts with him saying, so sleek, so powerful, so beautiful. As we see montages <laughs> of, of Superman, I was like, oh, it's going to be this kind of movie. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. like <laughs> Either he's doing voiceover for a car commercial or he's really <laughs> smitten with Superman. Oh. <laughs> I mean... He's got a stunning physique. I mean, yeah, I liked I like Lex Luthor, uh, or I was calling him kind of like evil Mister Clean, <laughs> or or maybe just like bald John Travolta. Uh, <laughs> and I also appreciated how much time he spent with his shirt off, which was a lot of time, uh, considering roughly half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, just I have to imagine um, if this is something that they'd wanted to do. 
when they did the TV show of what if we had what if we had Lex clearly lusting after Superman for the entire <laughs> time and and just not knowing how to handle it. Uh, <laughs> He is crazy in love with him, and I'm okay with that, like, interpretation. <laughs> well, this reminded me more of, like, the Joker-Batman dynamic than, I, than yeah. any version of Lex Luthor and Superman that I've seen before. It reminded me especially of, uh, there's that Batman animated series episode, The Man Who Killed Batman, where Joker gives his famous speech about how he's, how about how his life is basically over, and right now that Batman's dead, mm-hmm. and... Lex was just talking about how how random and senseless the death was and it should have been him and then decides to get that tension out by cloning Superman so that he can straddle him and punch him while <laughs> heaving very And then ask who's your who's daddy? Who's your daddy? Yes. <laughs> it's so it's so eerie and yet there's something kind of satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> something kind of satisfying about about seeing this particular angle. It it kind of it kind of you sympathize with him a little bit, I guess. That he he never got he's like he he never he never expressed this angle of his feelings for <laughs> Superman when he was alive. Uh, I, I liked that he had to make the point at Superman's funeral that he brought the most roses. <laughs> I, I <had laughs> Everybody's just putting down single roses, and then Lex walks in with this just just. Huge bouquet of roses. None of you I loved him the most. Yes, and then I thought it interesting that uh, it's only when he realizes that Lois had like a deep, uh, you know, probably physical relationship uh, with Superman that suddenly he becomes interested in Lois. Like suddenly he's yeah. attracted to her just because, like, oh, like. Yeah, like, it, to me, it was like something like, "Oh, I can like vicariously uh, like feel the yeah. lips that yes. touch Superman's lips." Exactly, <laughs> and he comes on really strong at that very moment too. It's yeah. just like, "Oh, we're oh, just having a convers- ca- casual conversation." Yeah. Oh, I used to bang Superman. We're getting this on right now. Yeah. Oh, you were inner thigh touch. <laughs> <laughs> you were more than friends. Yeah, inappropriate physical contact. I'd like to. I'd. I'd like to see more of this version of Lex. Oh, totally. I absolutely would love to. You want maybe maybe in the the Jesse Eisenberg version of the character will be sexually obsessed oh. with Superman, but can't even necessarily admit it to himself. Don't eat. Now that's all I want. Now that's. <laughs> now I'm going to be disappointed if we get anything but that. Alright, we got a couple more characters we can talk about in the movie. I guess there's not really a whole lot to say about Doomsday. Not yeah, there's not. He, he hates deer, like, for serious. <laughs> but that's that's ripped right from the comics, too, wasn't it? Like, doesn't he just kill a deer first thing when he appears? Oh, yeah, as soon as you meet Doomsday, the first thing that he... It's just, you know, I, I think I think he basically snapped... I think snapping Bambi's neck is, is the initial way to establish that he's pure evil. Right. O- only a monster of pure <laughs> destructive passion could... Kill that Kill deer. Kill a deer. <laughs> there, are, there are a number of really, uh, of really entertaining, gruesome deaths that uh, Doomsday lays on. I like the one where we, we cut back to Doomsday and he's holding a guy who's screaming his head off and he's just slowly putting his hand over his head. He's just <laughs> like, okay now, you can stop <laughs> screaming. I, I like when he has Superman in his grips and really is like seconds away from just offing him right there until a child <laughs> wanders into the street and then, oh, wait, 
hold on, Superman. I have to kill this child, then I'm going to come back and finish you. This goes Something right for the, smaller. This goes yeah. right for the easier meal. Yeah, but like Superman doesn't even look like he has that much left in him, but it's like, <laughs> no, wait, wait. This child, who's just in the middle of the street for no reason, crying. It's like the balloon kid in the Spider-Man 2 game. <laughs> it's absolutely that kid. <laughs> Haley, are we are we in a, are we on another planet? Yes, but okay. you have been for a while, so I'm cool. <laughs> okay, well, I'll be cur- I'll be curious about like, as someone you've probably never been exposed to the character of Doom. Well, let's put character in quotes to the device yeah. that is Doomsday. <laughs> I have never been exposed to Doomsday. Okay, whatsoever. Now, is you get like we can extrapolate things because we've seen we've seen again he's never really a character he's always really more of a device to say hey that's the guy who killed Superman everybody run scared but mm. did you get any kind of vibe or impression from the character just straight from the movie at all? Um, I, I mean, to me it was nothing but just like killing machine uh, and frankly one of the more frustrating characters in that yeah not really a character just uh, unstoppable evil, indestructible killing machine faced against Superman, who is also indestructible uh, saving machine, maybe. And so their whole <laughs> battle, while I was I was kind of into it, you know, lots of destruction, pretty cool explosions everywhere, I kind of just kept thinking, well, what's the point of this? Because it's been established that we can't, that no one is going to stop Doomsday, and no one is going to stop Superman. It was really like a rock in a hard place battling through a city. Um I did like his long white hair, though. I thought it was pretty. <laughs> oh, you know, that brings up something. See, did you actually walk into this movie having absolutely zero idea of the story of it? Yeah, zero idea. Okay, so when Superman dies, do you, do you feel that the movie gives you the, the permission to think that he's really going to stay dead? Uh, I gotta say, it really didn't, just because it happened in the first 30 minutes, and I was kind of just waiting for, you know... I, 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 I do expect this kind of thing from this kind of movie there's always there's always a second act or uh that hand punching up from under the ground unfortunately i gotta say yeah i I didn't i didn't weep over uh superman's funeral i guess they only give you 10 minutes to pretend that superman's dead because he gets killed at 27 minutes and comes and then the clone shows up at 37 so you just get a little bit of time i think that time was spent pretty well i think with the funeral and especially with lois going to visit ma kent was a really really excellently yeah. put together scene which is interesting because it's that's something we never got in the comics because like i f- i think lois their their relationship was different by the point that superman died in the comics whereas this movie sort of takes place in a world where lois is only just discovering that or i mean she seems like she knew but only get, getting confirmation that superman is clark kent um, and like that's like see like the first time that she actually meets Superman's mom is after he's dead. The most mm. depressing thing in the comics, if I recall correctly, the Kents or at least Ma Kent doesn't e- can't even go to Superman's funeral because there's no reason for anyone to think that she's important yeah. enough to go. Because in the comics, Superman's funeral is like the pallbearers are Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, um. And uh, like Aquaman, and I think some guy, just like some like somebody he saved or something, they let one person carry like like the heavy corner. I think <laughs> it wasn't a superhero, but that's that's I guess that that's so that's so crazy depressing. I don't think there'd even be enough time to to pay it off in the movies. They just have a, a public memorial service. But I really thought that 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 
performance, not just the the voice performance from Anne Heche, but the the animation performance, which I guess can be attributed to director Lauren Montgomery and her storyboard artist, where she's standing at Ma Kent's door and sort of just struggling with how to have this conversation, playing with her hands, and just her animation acting there I thought was pretty terrific. Absolutely. And I love, I thought Spoozy Kurtz uh, was a great Ma Kent, uh, Martha Kent. Uh, I mean, I've I've loved her for a long time, especially in like, like Pushing Daisies. But I that just that turn of like kind of going from anger, like, oh, a reporter, what do you, you know, vulture, what are you doing here? What do you want? My son's dead. And then like hearing Lois's appeal to her of like, you know, you're the only like literally the only person on this planet I can talk to who knows what it's like to be loved by him. And that's just such a really beautiful connection that they make. Ma Kent doesn't get a whole lot else to do in the movie, though. No, unfortunately. I guess she's she's not like she's gonna be in an action sequence. Regrettably, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't they don't give her the kryptonite gun. That would have been amazing. Uh. There are a couple of other bit characters in the movie. How about the creepiest version of Toy Man ever? Yeah, oh my god. I, the note I wrote on my pad here just says "weird emo Toy Man," <laughs> voiced by John Bender DiMaggio <laughs> slash. John, Jake the dog, DiMaggio. <laughs> oh my god. Creepiest version ever. And you know what? It makes so much sense. But also seems like it's another one of those things that they did to, to try and scream at you that this movie is for grown-ups. Yeah. yeah. But they I kill mean, a four-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm laughing about it. <laughs> there are a lot of versions of Toy Man that are pretty creepy, but somehow just that particular one with his weird black lipstick and just pale features and uh Lots yeah space teeth just like yeah a gap between each one a, a man who hasn't known the inside of a shower in uh, you know too long to count when he's i lost my playmates yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although uh i forgot the hilarious uh, Kevin Smith cameo in that <laughs> yeah. scene. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, Make, that was a really nice the, thing to throw in there. The the giant spider joke that only people who've heard Kevin Smith tell that story are really going to appreciate. If any of you listening have not heard Kevin Smith tell the story of Superman and the Giant Spider, pause the show, go right to YouTube, and search Kevin Smith Giant Spider. And um, I think that should take you there. It's a great, a great story from his first evening with Kevin Smith special. That's just tells you so much about what's wrong with Hollywood, and <laughs> in itself, it just in the telling of it is a great storyteller. It's a, it's, a, it's a really great story, and I like they threw a little nod into that into the movie, and it is Kevin Smith's voice. Yeah, yeah. I had I did not have any reference to the story, but that popped up, and I was like, that is Kevin Smith. <laughs> That's him. He's talking. That's him. He's in like three movies. He's in this. He's in Live Free or Die Hard, and that's uh, that's pretty much and, it. And Daredevil. Oh yeah. Someday we'll do Daredevil. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen has a really like. I don't know if they just had to pad out the script a little bit or what. I don't really know what the point to Jimmy's subplot was. Strange little subplot. I was never confident about why him leaving to go to a um, like a tabloid newspaper would a result in more money in the first place and b be like some kind of 
a coping mechanism for him dealing with the loss of Superman. It just seemed like kind of like a weird, a weird choice for everybody. Because apparently this Jimmy is a, I don't know if it's just for this dead Superman photo or what, but if he had it before then, Jimmy is a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer for the Daily Planet. And after the death Superman decides that he's going to work for a shitty tabloid and take photos of, of uh, celebrities walking into clubs, and Lois mm. hates him for it. Just gives him so much shit, I guess, because she's a legit journalist and he's like her buddy. But I felt kind of bad for Jimmy that, that he takes so much shit for this. Yeah. And he was uh, recruited for the job by young Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it it was a weird, yeah, like, they were trying to set up, uh, like, here's how these, you know, the people who, you know, worked closest with Clark are affected by the death of Superman. Uh, like Perry Perry's turns drinking, yeah. to drinking. Yeah, uh, Lois is taking really unnecessarily risky, uh, you know, jobs despite knowing that there's no Superman that could come in and save her. And then Jimmy just gives up his principles and goes to work for you know TMZ or whatever. That <laughs> doesn't. It doesn't ever really go anywhere. I guess. I mean, I no. It's it's nice when you have room in a in an animated feature like that's that's tight to seventy five minutes to put a little bit of a of a purely character subplot. But I kind of wish it had had some relevance to the story just because there's so little time to the movie. I mean, it's it's seventy five minutes and three of those or five of those are credits. Like we have a really long, boring opening credit sequence at the beginning that eats up, you know, what really um, amounts to like like I guess a good five percent of the movie. I always yeah. get kind of frustrated with the DC animated movies. I know how short they are, and I know how yeah. little they have, and then they and they'll make these long, elaborate opening sequences, and I'll be like, I'd really rather just have, I'd rather rather have four or five more minutes of movie. Yeah, I feel like this one's even. It's less elaborate than some of them have gotten from that point. Like there, are, I know there there are some that just take way too much time. I mean, at least, like, ones like uh, Under the Red Hood or New Frontier, those are really cool-looking sequences to get you acclimated to the movie. This was, at some point, they literally cut to a loop of an explosion (laughs) to put the the writer and director credits over. It's like, we have these 38 frames of something blowing up. Just, Just fucking roll. Just run it. There's one more character that we, I guess, really haven't talked about, which is Evil Clone Superman, who is in more of the movie than regular Superman, so I guess has more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have a habit of watching things with subtitles, uh, and they, the subtitles always call him Dark Superman. Uh-huh. So that, that's, that's what he is in my mind. Dark I guess he's not evil. I mean, there's a lot of movies in which dropping a child molester off, uh, off of like a 100-story building would be the happy ending to the film. <laughs> right. That's but. true. It's, it's no less than a Frank Miller Batman would do. Really, it seems like in the last couple of years, especially, Superman killing people has become a very popular theme in Superman stories. Superman killing people in this, um, and uh, last year, I will always remember 2013 as the year Superman killed people in four different media. Uh, <laughs> Superman killed somebody in Man of Steel, killed somebody in the comics uh, with the uh, Trinity War story, killed killed people in the Injustice video game, and killed people in the uh, in the Flashpoint Paradox cartoon and if i'm ruining all those things for you it's been a year you guys (laughs) i mean the issue with me with you know this big moment of him dropping 
Toy Man and him and committing this murder is that that doesn't connect to me to the entire first part of the film when we have regular old Superman um, causing more destruction than he's helping when he's fighting Doomsday. I mean, like, I'm like, so many buildings are exploding. One building literally sinks into the ground like a skyscraper. Uh, and I just, oh, yeah. Thousands afterwards, afterwards, Thousands. Yeah, and afterwards, afterwards, he, you know, he, Lois runs up to him and he just goes, we're safe. All of us. False. All of us are not safe. You did it. You are okay. You and Lois. Cool. It's, it's also, see, Superman waits to the last possible second to use his one clear advantage against Doomsday, which is that he can fucking fly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, <laughs> now that I'm next to death, now I think I'll do the apparently easy thing to do and throw you into space. And rather than leave you in space where you can do no harm to anyone, I think I'll pile drive you from orbit back to the populated city, killing <laughs> you and myself. <laughs> so many misguided choices in that in that one decision. I like I was like I, he gets up into orbit. I'm like he's going to leave him there and he's not going to do that. I'm like he's going to put him in the ocean. He's not going to do that. It's like no, like right ex- back where we started. I mean, middle of the city. If if he's not averse to killing Doomsday, which apparently he's not, you can throw him into the sun and save everybody a whole lot of trouble. Yeah. But also, it seems like... But then where's our movie? Yeah, then where's our movie? But <laughs> Superman also totally kills other Superman at the end of this movie and seems to have no problem with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, sure, it's his clone, but it's also Superman. And he kills him with kryptonite and crushes him under a rock. And it and it is him in in every I mean as we've gone over in every way except for in the the experiences and the memories that he has. So it's really you know kind of instead of evil Superman, it's more like slight alternate Superman that has just taken a slightly different curve at some point. Um, and you know, especially when they have what what is the last line that that evil Superman says? Is, Protect what, people. Was, yeah, that's protect the people uh, and and in that moment you know we're supposed to we're supposed to feel for him because this isn't this superman isn't a villain per se as so much as you know more like a wonky version of what superman could be with kind of just uh, you know his sense of morality gone way by way yeah, of the it, field it's kind of what like superman himself calls this dark superman uh like you know what he would be like if he were raised by lex Luthor. Uh, and that's that's essentially like what the clone acts like is a if a if Superman was raised by Lex Luthor, it, you know he's a more uh, kind of more more petty, uh, extreme uh, sense of of uh, right and wrong, uh, more self entitled than than the Superman we know. Because in the, in the beginning, I think it actually ties back into the sort of theme from Lex's speech in the beginning of the movie, where Lex is talking about how Superman is a god, but doesn't demand to be treated like a god, so they treat him like a god anyway. And so then this Superman, who sort of has more of Lex's mentality, or is Superman the way that Lex would imagine Superman, mm-hmm. does expect that treatment, and then doesn't doesn't really get it. And then people are, yeah, terrified of him, and, and like... Cheer on the other dude that's trying to kill him. When Perry's like, "Yeah, he's he's kicking Superman's ass." Can we talk about the beautiful scene where Dark Superman takes a cat out of a tree in the most <laughs> menacing possible way, and they cut to him extreme close up to him petting this cat while saying threatening things for like a noticeably long period of time? 
That was a long scene. He really wanted that old woman to understand what she did wrong. I like. I loved his like in his really in depth knowledge of uh, types of cats too, and of what species (laughs) should and should not be in or out of doors. (laughs) This is a Persian long hair. This should not be outside. And he's also he's complaining about how long it takes, but about you know about how it's it's waste of time for him to take a cat down from the tree. But if he didn't stop to do the speech about it, it really would have only taken two or three seconds. But right. instead, he has to stand there and lecture in this very creepy tone while stroking this cat, and the cat is loving it. <laughs> that is a comfortable cat. Yeah, I, I have a weird idea about Dark Superman that I'm sure is, I don't know, I'm sure it's intentional, but you, the, when, after his first scene, I was just like, Dark Superman is racist. Um, because, because they make, they make, there's this this scene where he's walking down the street and there's just a, you know, a real like solid, like eight or nine seconds devoted to him just barreling through an interracial couple. Like they're walking (laughs) and he just separates them and walks right through. I'm like, oh no, this isn't our Superman. This Superman is racist. He, he would hate this year's Super Bowl commercials. (laughs) I'm, so that's how I knew he was evil. I'm <laughs> it's not intentional. But now we have to go back and rewatch the movie and point out and and really and really take specific notes on every interaction that that Dark Superman <laughs> has with every different person of any different race or ethnicity. Yeah. But then does by by proxy doesn't that suggest that it's Lex Luthor who's racist and has taught uh, this Dark Superman these uh these <laughs> racial uh, uh, opinions. I don't. Know. Yeah, it's like it's like when your dog barks at a black guy. It's because you you're, you're <laughs> the one. Uh, Superman, evil Superman, being the barking dog in this scenario. He didn't introduce him to enough uh, people of color that uh, he yeah he doesn't know how to how to act around them. But what's a great shortcut to getting you to hate a character is just make him racist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like well you know that's kind of hard for us to like you now. But he does at least have a really strong opinion against uh, child molesters. So there's there's that. There we go. He's got that That's going true. for him. To the point of he'll take them when they've already when they're already in police custody, and then just drop them from the sky. Oh, we forgot. But we forgot to talk about Mercy for how little she is in this. She is in this movie. Yeah, Mercy Graves. Is that the one? Is that the one who gets shot in the face? Yes, the one who gets <laughs> suddenly shot in the face. And got it's, it. It's. Shocking, I think, to to fans of the animated series they made or to the comics because she's kind of the main Lex aide. Like, it's weird to imagine that she would just get unceremoniously shot in the face. Yeah, like she's she was kind of the animated series to comic book import from the Superman cartoon. Like where where Harley Quinn was that for Batman, uh, Mercy was. It was she was mostly just someone they introduced in the cartoon, but she was popular enough they started doing stuff with her in the comics and So we have her in this movie with the weirdest, non most non existent nose possible to draw. <laughs> I mean she basically just has two skeleton style holes in her face that make up a nose and Cree Summer's voice and then gets shot in the head. Yeah. After very pridefully uh having, you know, murdered several scientists. She's a really a very good henchman. She's exactly who you'd want working for you, but I think maybe that has to do more with Lex's despair, is that he just doesn't fucking care anymore now that there's no Superman for him to to focus all of his sexual energy on. Right. It which kind of I mean, it it's all very messed up, but it's 
just the act, the very idea that he kills her himself is kind of shocking because he's Lex Luthor is very much a doesn't like to get his hands dirty kind of guy, and and but he'll he just full on pulls out a gun right there in his office yeah. and takes her down. I have to make sure that no one traces this force of nature creature back to an excavation where I accidentally had some scientists get them off of there while there's no paper trail leading back to Lex Luthor. But I have no problem having the person who cleaned that all up for me get shot and have her blood on my carpet, <laughs> killing her in front of an, a window that certainly has an opposite <laughs> window across the street. <laughs> oh, I don't, it's probably... The uh, super tall building. I don't. I don't know the how many. How what the what adjacent. I'm buildings. assuming that Lex Luthor can afford some tinted glass. You know. Right. Right. Uh, Although it cracks. He, it the whole thing. Yeah. So who knows? The whole. The whole damn. Like whoever. Whoever's across the street from him. That building's probably coming down at the end of the movie anyway. <laughs> right. Right. And he's got a basement full of supermen to clean it up. Mm, he did. He did. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, that that that's actually a worse cleanup is who's gonna clean up all the supermen. All the weird amniotic fluid on the floor. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that he really he didn't just clone Superman like magically created a new person. Like he grew him from a baby uh, very quickly somehow, but was was really just from the ground up just raising him. All right, I think that that's probably just about it for the movie. I mean, it's only it's a, it's a short movie. We don't want to. Be talking for longer than the movie runs. Uh, let's see, anybody have anything else they want to touch on before we wrap things up? The only thing that I that I had else written down was that uh, fantasies that I did not know that I had was seeing two hunky clones of Superman mud wrestle each other to the death. <laughs> uh, that's a new favorite image of mine and one that I will hold dearly. Does one of them have to have a mullet? Yes, it is an absolute requirement. I would also say about like uh, the the voice. I always like when there's a difference between Clark Kent voice and Superman voice, and there wasn't even that either. So, like when when he finally is comfortable enough to be Clark around Lois at the end of the movie, he he doesn't like you don't know he's like being Clark except that you if you look on the screen and he's got glasses on, and then she dives on him that and actually topples him backwards, which means that she's traveling at an amazing velocity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Superman must not have his feet planted very, very well for that to happen, or she would just, like, ricochet <laughs> off of him. <laughs> I think um, that is one thing that I really like about this movie, and uh, because I think, really, the strongest component of the movie is Lois, and you know a good Lois because if she has figured out who Superman is already... And it's just like, come on, you can you can tell me you're Superman. It's it's not yeah. a thing. She you're she had it kind of sucks. <laughs> she had it like pretty much from the start. I mean, it, it opens with a really weird th- scene where like Lois was kind of really mean to Clark when he's like talking about he's got to go off to Afghanistan, and she's like, oh, don't you know, don't don't step don't, on any line, man. Line yeah, man. don't step on yeah. any yeah lines. Uh, that's. That's really awful and cold to say until you see the next scene where she's, you know, all cuddly with Superman and then trying to, like, like noodle him as far as, like, tell me, tell me about yourself. Like, what's your name? No, what's your real name? I interpreted the landmine thing with her knowing she was going to see him later 
Yeah. And just kind of annoyed with him that that he has to pretend that he's not going to see her again for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, I kind of forgot how that progression happens in this movie. So it's just something that, like, really alarmed me when I first heard the line. And then until that next scene, like, oh, okay. Like, that's a really mean thing for you to say, Lois. You don't care at all. But I can also <laughs> buy it because when everyone does think that Clark is dead, nobody cares. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, yeah, Perry's like, oh, no, he's, you know, he's fine. He, you know, there's nothing to worry about there. He's just in some trench in Afghanistan. Like, yeah. Also, like, uh, you, you know, I gotta say, do not really love the, the bringing in to the, the war in Afghanistan because all of a sudden we were in the real world and that's actually very dangerous and it just seemed very, um, I don't know, almost preachy in a way. It was, like, calling attention to, like, other problems in the world. Well, Superman also tries to cure cancer in the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah. Oh, that is true. <laughs> can't, can't do it. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Lex can and has, but won't, like, give these cures out to people. Uh, but Superman's trying so hard with all his fancy Kryptonian technology and just can't do it. I kind of felt like when I first saw the movie that the cancer thing was going to have to come back. Like, maybe they take a different route as to how Superman comes back to life and that somehow curing cancer solves Superman being dead because you have two scenes in a row where they're talking about curing diseases and I understand you know in hindsight that it's just about setting up themes between the two characters but I remember watching it for the first time being like oh that's coming back and I guess it's kind of a pleasant surprise to be wrong <laughs> my, my final beat to think about is um, Lois can be convinced that real Superman is back just from a just from a kiss and so the Shoop Shoop song started playing in my head from the, um, this like an, the old girl group song. It's like, okay, yeah, that's where it is. Uh, uh, Cher sang that song. Did she? Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing we learned from this movie is that Lois can extrapolate a lot from a little. I mean, she figured out the whole Superman Evo clone thing from a from just looking at a very thin file labeled genetic testing. So, yeah. <laughs> genetic she, research or something. Lady can get a lot of sleuthing done in 30 minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, looks like that's just about it for today's episode of Supers on Screen. Anybody have some closing thoughts about their, uh, their, their impressions of the film? Uh, I would say I'm cool with with any story where Lois is the star and is smart, capable, and brave, uh, even though uh, it means that we don't get Superboy with the fade haircut and leather jacket and uh, all of the of the replacement oh, Superman. We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we just opened a whole new door of Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. no. Now, Haley, this will be fun because you don't know about this story. Tracy and I are going to try to explain to you <laughs> <laughs> the return of Superman as it occurred in the comics because it's bonkers. <laughs> so when okay, Superman... I'm ready. Okay, all right. We'll 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 tag in and out. Actually, Tracy, you start. Uh, when when Superman died uh, in the comic books, rather than just one cloned Superman coming in to replace him, uh. Four dudes appeared to replace him, and there was this question that in all the promo material of, is this the real Superman? Is this the real Superman? And of uh, course it was none of them. 
the, yeah, the answer was none. But they wanted you to choose your favorite. Like, there were four monthly Superman books running at the time. And so the creative teams, the writers and artists for each of those books, each created their own Superman replacement. And so whichever book you were reading, that would kind of become your home team Superman. And you were all about to be disappointed because none of them is becoming Superman. Because yeah. uh, how? Why wouldn't it be the sixteen-year-old uh, with the leather jacket and uh, disco hip belts, <laughs> or or the uh, you know uh, Terminator Superman with the metal face parts, yeah. or the or uh, the the one that uh, wears sunglasses uh, all of the time. The character that we get in this movie is sort of a combination of three of the four um, Superman candidates because there's there's. Um, Do you mean the three white ones? The three white ones. <laughs> there's a black one. Yeah, uh, yes, that's actually, that's the one of the characters that that so survived he, and is still in the comics. He, oh, John no. Hamm, and it got his own movie starring Shaq. That was terrible. Yeah. Um, that's the origin of the superhero Steel, who is um, he was just a, a regular guy who was working construction one day when Superman oh, saved him and decided that he was going to dedicate his life. Thing is, though, that while he was working construction when that happened, what his real deal is is that he is an amazing, like, engineer and weapons designer whose, whose weapons have fallen into the wrong hands, and so he suits up as steel in just a cool suit of armor with a hammer that over time develops some really cool powers in, like, the Justice League um, book. Um, and he fights crime as a guy in a cool metal suit with an S shield and a cape. And he was actually pretty popular. Hmm. And the yeah. way that they tied him into the being the new Superman thing is that they had some weird story where this medium said that she saw Superman's soul leave his body and jump into this random guy walking down the street, and it's totally steel. She's full of shit. But it was a reason for people to to, to see him as the Superman uh, replacement beyond just he's a cool new character who's fighting in the name of Superman. But the three characters who this one was based on were uh, Superboy, the Eradicator, and Cyborg Superman. And you seemed like you really want to talk about Superboy, Tracy, so take it away. Oh, I'd, I've just... Uh, I love Superboy, or the, the Con-L Superboy... Uh... Uh, I I will say that this movie uh, has a very economical take on the death of Superman because you would need several movies to even touch any of what happened in the comics. Well, the fight, uh, the, just the fight, yeah, is isn't the fight four issues just just the just the Superman Doomsday fight? I feel like it, yeah, because at the time they were having one story told throughout all four titles and then connecting them with the little diamond numbering system in the corner. And so they, you'd have yeah. to read all four books that came out every month just to get the one story that was happening. And they spent 12 issues, I think, on the funeral. And then you get, like, I think the largest of the volumes is the only one I have in trade is the, is the Return of Superman. And that one is just is just enormous and so much happens because you each, you, you think you get a turn at thinking each of the Superman is evil at some point. Yeah. And it turns out that the Cyborg Superman, the only one of them who claims to be the actual yeah. Superman rebuilt with Kryptonian technology after his death, he turns out to be evil. So that's where we get the evil portion. So we get the clone portion of this character from Superboy. We get the evil yeah. portion from Cyborg Superman, and we get this sort of, like, mad um, vigilante with no restraint from the Eradicator 
and the Eradicator was like supposedly grown in the Fortress of Solitude and is what Superman would have been like if he hadn't grown up on Earth, if he'd grown up on Krypton instead, where everything's way more, like, intense. Yeah. In the end, of course, none of them were Superman. The Eradicator gets killed. Um, Superboy becomes uh, just like a Teen Titan and whatever, and Steel joins the Justice League. But and he, we... fights, he fights crime in Hawaii and uh, just mostly hangs around women in swimsuits all the time. That's, that's the reign of the Superman... The beautiful thing about Superboy is he's sort of the epitome of what old dudes thought was cool that kids liked in the 90s with the faded haircut and these, like, John Lennon sunglasses and this short leather jacket and, like, two two belts that just hang off of the hip. And, and he talks like Bart Simpson and he's, <laughs> yes. like, super horny. Yeah. You know, like kids are. But in this movie, we get Dark Superman. So I guess I I think and it's Lex fun. that's super horny and it's Lex that's yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for this episode of Supers on Screen. I want to thank uh, all of you guys for listening, and I want to thank my guests Tracy Mock and Haley Winters for joining me today. Thank you. With Thanks for new, having us. With uh, I'll be back with two more guests next week to discuss Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original <laughs> live action movie should be a whole lot of fun. Thanks a lot, everybody, and uh, see you next week. Super Zone Screen is produced by Dylan Roth for Deadshirt.net. Visit Deadshirt.net for reviews and commentary on comics, movies, TV, music, and more. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Deadshirt.net. That's D-E-A-D-S-H-I-R-T-B-O-T-N-E-T. You can find me, Dylan Roth, on Twitter at Dylan Roth. That's D-Y-L-A-N-R-O-T-H. Find guest Tracy Mock on Twitter at Mockingbird. That's M-A-U-K-I-N-G-B-I-R-D. Or at Mockingbird.tumblr.com. Find guest Haley Winters on Twitter at Winters, with seven Zs, or at Deadshirt.net. Our theme music is Become the Night by Big Damn Heroes. Deadshirt.net. Consider everything.